Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, I'm sure all of you would agree, we live in a world today where it's digital here, digital there, digital everywhere. One of the side effects of the ease due to digitalization is the ease of cyber attacks on individuals, businesses and government systems as well. Two senior figures from cybersecurity company Palo Alto Networks say that cybercrime and fraud are expected to be more rampant now than in previous years and in the future, of course, among the threats, business email compromise and ransomware attacks remain high on the global watch list. Yet there's no denying that for businesses, including the finance sector, it is digital or die. We can't all be Luddites, right? So in an increasingly hostile cyber threat landscape, digitalization calls for intensifying zero trust. It's all about combating the persistence of attacks. As we head into the new year, how can local financial organizations, especially guard against such attacks. Vincent Go joins us now. He's Senior VP, APAC and Japan at CyberArk. Hi, Vincent. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Bharati. Thanks for having me. Now, we've been talking about cyber attacks and cybersecurity quite a lot lately, and rightfully so, because it's become such a big issue. Zero trust. This is a framework for securing infrastructure and data for today's modern digital transformation. Let's talk about the components, and at which stage do hackers see vulnerability? Yeah, thanks, Bharati. And uh, zero trust is actually coined in 1994. It's been around for a while in the University of Stirling. And several variations and evolution have taken place since then. For example, in 2010, uh, Forrester Research used it to denote uh, stricter cybersecurity programs and access control. And up to very recently, 2018, NIST, which stands for National Institute of Standards and Technology of the United States, uh, published the Zero Trust Architecture that defines a collection of concepts designed to enforce a stronger access to any system. As its name suggests, zero trust, the fundamental concept is never trust and always verify. Right? So our company, CyberArk, actually published a white paper called Zero Trust Evolution, the Role of Identity Security. And there are many components to it. And mm. then I'll focus on a couple of uh, key ones. For example, number one, uh, strong adaptive authentication. Right? Beyond multi-factor authentication capability, we want it to have some intelligent risk-based access, applying context meaning understanding user behavior. Uh, number two could be is, uh, continuous approval and authorization, right? Always revalidate users for sensitive actions and also after periods of inactivity. And the last one, which is very important, is actually securing least privileged access, meaning no standing access. Mm. You don't want to give someone permanent access, right? So these are some of the key components of what we call never trust, always verify, we need the zero trust framework. Yet, it's vulnerable to breaches, to attacks. So, where does the problem really lie here? Well, um, multiple research and survey over the years have shown that in every successful breach that took place, 80 to 90% is due to compromised credential, uh, particularly pri- privileged credential, or what we call in an organization, digital assets, the crowd jewels, right? And even with a well-designed security measure in place, uh, attackers will keep probing for weakness. So, for example, we spoke about multi-factor authentication. And there's something called multi-factor authentication fatigue, right? MFA fatigue. Basically, what the attacker will do is they will initiate so many requests uh, for, for user to approve. 
for example, you get requests at 1 a.m. and you get 10 of them, right? At some point, you get tired and just click on one of them to get rid of it, mm. right? And this is how the attackers could take a moment of weakness uh, and through a compromised identity, you know, enter a network and uh, do things within the environment. So it sounds like it's human failings that result in a lot of vulnerabilities. Well, I would say that uh, it takes two to work, right? Technology itself is, is, is one element. The, the user is definitely an element, right? It's, for example, if I, you know, you, you can you can teach people to use uh, a pin number to secure themselves by using ATM cards. But if the if the person uh, very carelessly you know write the ATM pin number everywhere, I mean it defeats the purpose of the technology, isn't it? So it has to work hand in hand. Mm. Of course, uh, we've seen some major attacks recently. A lot of people still remember the OCBC phishing scam. Then mm-hmm. there was a whole argument at the point about whether there should be two FA through SMS, and such issues were brought up. What do you think of the way all of that has been handled since? Well, first of all, we need to understand that um, the last two years has been very unique, right? And, and it changes uh, the way we work, not just at a personal level, but even how organizations think about uh, working with their employees, right? So how do we get users to continue to live their life? So if you think about financial organization, they face a couple of big change. One of them definitely is this increased digital transformation, right? The work from home phenomenon, driving more interaction between people, application and process, forcing people to use system. This proliferation of human and machine identity basically increased the attack surface tremendously, right? The second component is actually we saw also an increase in ransomware, right? Which is actually 2022 was the worst year for ransomware to date. We saw the Costa Rica government and Toyota and Optus in Australia mm. were some of the key examples that uh, they were hit quite badly, right? And we expect the same or more uh, in 2023. And in fact, uh, if you have not heard, ransomware as a service, yeah, of course. similar model has already been around, right? You know, where sophisticated threat actors have learned to develop malware and mm. sell it as a service. So, you know, the, the recent um, situations that the banks went through locally, primarily is due to the third element, which is the increase in social engineering to what I call smishing. Right, I'm sure you are familiar with phishing in emails. Mm-hmm. When you use SMS, we call that smishing, right? Mm. And that's because many bank users today are not very well trained uh, in cybersecurity or, or not technically sound enough to differentiate what is real and what is a scam, right? And again, it shows that identities are the most taken path to commit a cybercrime. Right, right. So what are the steps that should be taken right now to fortify digital banking services? Sounds to me like you're saying user education is the key here. 100%. You are right on, right? So we have already seen that banks have uh, started doing that. If you're locked in, there will always be a page that makes you tick a box to, you know, makes you you understand that you you have to read through all this, right? I think constant education for users, raising awareness to cybersecurity, to do's and nots, is always one of the most key important things. But beyond that, you know, organizations obviously have to be diligent with their IT hygiene, right? So one of the key things over the years that I've been in industry that I've seen is that organizations buy good systems, but sometimes they're not configured well, right? So when you're not configured well, it doesn't really give you the 100% effectiveness, right? Secondly, you know, when you look at your own IT hygiene, for example, do you audit your users, right? You give users rights and access to your, your network and uh, how often do you actually check and those users are still around, right? 
And and last, uh, which is a kind of uh, what we just talked about with zero trust as an element is, is what we call trust but verify. Right? Encourage your users to use strong passwords and change them regularly if possible. Of course, use multi-factor authentication. Uh, and then adopt what we call least privilege approach. Right? Give minimum access if possible. Not open up the kimono and let people come in the moment they authenticated themselves. <laughs> by making mm. you're making sure they they get the right access at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that kimono tightly wrapped around <laughs> you, huh? Uh, yes, what about really. ransomware, Vincent? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, one might say in the same realm, but different. And some mm. of the organisations I know have actually budgeted ransoms in case they ever have to pay one. So tell me more about how they can best deal with this. People always talk about make, about backing up your data, make sure it's all backed up. But there's also the worry of the fact that the data is in the wrong hands and it could be leaked, thereby tarnishing your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond the monetary loss, I think the biggest concern is reputation, right? It, because it has usually a ripple or uh, effect that took, takes place over time. Sometimes, uh, you know, even organization cannot really measure the damage that they are dealing with. Um, if you really look at ransomware carefully, one of the biggest, one of the ways that is most successful for ransomware to work is actually to be able to take hold of the privileged credentials winning on your device, whether it's a phone, uh, primarily through a laptop or a desktop, right? So that, that is number one. Uh, area to look at. The moment you deprive your systems of, you know, full administrative rights, you basically could really knock down ransomware by quite a bit. But let's talk about the fact that we just mentioned earlier on uh, about zero trust, uh, you know, and, and there's obviously a lot of uh, things we can talk about zero trust. But the three main areas if you think about ransomware, number one is, we just said that, right, never trust, always verify. When we talk about, you know, regularly changing password, multi-factor authentication, least privileged approach, those are the key things. Number two is actually to design your system to limit damage. For example, segmenting your networks so that when the ransomware comes in, you know, it might affect one and not every part of your, your whole organization systems, right? Or even have a kill switch in place where you can, you know, activate a kill switch where disassociating the networks that potentially are affected. Mm. And the last thing I would say is always to assume breach. We have a constructive paranoid behavior. And I used to give this example, right? If you go back home and, and you know, in, in, a, in perhaps outside Singapore more frequently than not, you have a large home in a secluded area and you suspect that your home is broken, are you going to go walk in with a baseball bat or are you going to walk in with a bouquet of flowers? <laughs> the way you think mm. about how your environment is affected changes the way you approach it on a daily basis. What do you say? Positive paranoid behaviour. <laughs> is that true. is that what you call it? Okay. I call it constructive paranoid. Ah, very good. That's <laughs> it. That's better. Constructive paranoid behavior. Mm. So that's right. constructive paranoia in other words. The mm. thing is, what if after all of that you mm. still get attacked by people asking for a ransom? They take all your data and they say we'll only give it back if you pay. What should you do in that case? You've tried your best but you couldn't prevent one particular attack. So should you pay the ransom? Should you just call the authorities and wait for a possible data leak? I think, first of all, you know, there are, there are things you could do. Like you just said earlier on, which was already hitting the nail, is that making sure that you have a great backup, right? Because that gives you the ability to get back the data that you have lost. I think if you do that, that solves a lot of the problem. But let's assume that, you know, 
the worst case scenario and you don't have anything, then I think it's really up to every organization to decide uh, whether the data they lost and you know how the, how are they going to handle the the aftermath, right? Yeah, because even though you might have a backup, the fact is that the attackers now have the data and they can leak it. And that right. will, of course, tarnish your reputation and cause you losses. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the uh, conventional wisdom of preventing is better than cure always stands true. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think we want to encourage people to, organizations to obviously prevent that. But I think if you get to that stage, uh, it is what I call it is what it is, right? You, you just have to learn how to do a crisis management. But let's just say that uh, there's no lack of uh, information and lack of places where we can find more, uh, maybe counsel uh, to try to, uh, you, know, be, you know, build our system to be more preventive. Okay, finally, Vincent, as we move forward, what's your advice to businesses? Well, first of all, I think... That is uh, in today's and every there's so much to do today. There's so much to do today, and but recognize that number one, nearly all the major at, at cyber attacks follow a similar attack chain, right? Number one, the attacker steal and abuse the identity and credentials to get inside your your network, and then they look for the second step. They look for high value targets to obtain you know privileged identity and credential, and then third step is they exploit this credential uh, to provide a powerful access to accomplish that goal. Right. So it's very important that identity security today uh, is heavily focused because, number one, it transcends the concept of perimeter defense, which have served us well for the last two or three decades. Number two, it addresses holistically the identities that the organization have to deal with today, whether it's human, non-human, insider and outsider. And lastly, it adopts the best practice of this privileged approach, which is give only when you need and take it away when you don't. Thanks very much for your time today, Vincent. Vincent Go, Senior VP, APAC and Japan at CyberArk. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.